I am Allison Cole, and even though I am a licensed psychologist, I am here to only provide general information about psychological and emotional issues, but my guest and I will not be rendering psychological or healthcare advice for any individual or for his or her particular situation. If you are seeking a diagnosis, treatment, or advice regarding medical or mental health issue, please request a referral for a psychologist, psychotherapist, or licensed professional. Welcome to episode three of What Does It Take to Heal? My name is Corey Griffiths. I'm a drug and alcohol interventionist, and I've had a lifelong interest in all forms of healing. I'm collaborating with Dr. Allison Cole, psychologist and owner of Create Outcomes, to do this podcast and uncover what it really takes to heal. This series will focus on how to know when you need help to heal and what it takes to find the right therapist. In our last episode, we spoke about how someone can know when they need help. In today's episode, we will discuss an even more difficult question. How do you know what therapist is right for you? Thank you for joining me, Dr. Cole. I'm happy to be here, Corey. And I'd like to introduce our sponsor and producer, Toby Wright, creator of Tomes. Hi, Corey. How are you? Hi, Toby. What's happening, bro? Glad you're joining us. Appreciate it greatly. I'm very glad to be here as well. <laughs> Stay tuned after the podcast for a special sound bath from Tomes. Finding a therapist on an online search is not easy. Probably about as difficult as online dating, but we will speak more about why this is in our next podcast. I searched online for nine months and wasted a ton of time and money trying to find the right therapist. I didn't know what questions to ask and had no idea what I was supposed to be looking for. Dr. Cole, what questions should one ask before choosing a therapist? Well, there's four questions we're going to talk about today in particular, that when you're about to spend a lot of money to go sit in front of a therapist, and once you're in front of that therapist, it's also very difficult because you've paid the money and now you might have to tell that person that you're not a fit for them or they're not a fit for you. So to avoid that, what we wanna help people with today is to be able to ask the questions ahead of time before they get in the room with the therapist. And we should probably start with just one question at a time here. So the first question you should ask the therapist is how are you going to determine what is causing the problem that I'm bringing to you? And this question is so important because there's a lot of different ways that a therapist can look at why you're showing up with depression or why you're showing up with anxiety. But they need to make sure there's a system to doing that so that they have a way to treat what the underlying causes might be. Well, oftentimes the person coming in for therapy doesn't know the underlying issue, right? Like, I didn't know exactly why I was going into therapy, just that I needed some help for the presenting symptoms, anxiety, depression, or oftentimes I went into therapy for substance use. In trying to find a therapist, I spent 
many hours and dollars going to one or two sessions just to realize that the person was not a good fit for me at all. So yeah, I would like to know how to avoid that. I think these questions could help you and our listeners avoid that. So again, starting with that first question of, you know, asking the therapist how they're going to assess what is underlying the problem that you're bringing to them. They should have some way of explaining that they're going to rule things out, right? So you could have a thyroid issue that's causing depression. So maybe they might think it's important to have some sort of medical exam. Sometimes you want them to rule out things that have to do with trauma because anxiety can be caused by things that have happened in our past that aren't conscious at the time that you're seeking therapy. In addition to ruling out medical issues, it's important that the therapist tells you that they're going to take a thorough history of your life because we need to know if there was some traumatic experience or some type of reoccurring experience in your environment that might have caused you to be experiencing the world in the way that you are when you go to therapy. So for instance, if you're showing up saying, I feel too depressed to get out of bed, the therapist might go through what it is in your life that is being triggered currently that might represent something that has caused you a lot of suffering or grief from your past. But unless the therapist rules out these events or medical issues, it's hard for them to know if what you're dealing with, such as the depressive symptoms, really have to do with what's happening at that moment in your life or something that's happened from your past that needs to be healed. So, Dr. Cole, it's okay to ask your therapist, how will you know what it is that is causing my problem? Absolutely, Corey. And even if they don't say, I'm going to rule out medical or I'm going to get this thorough examination of your past, they need to be able to share with you some system or theory that they rely upon to put together the puzzle pieces that got you to the suffering that you're currently experiencing. My personal experience with intent for going to a therapist was just to get rid of the anxiety and or depression. I didn't know that trauma could be healed at all. I spent years in a traumatic state, literally unable to function, and hadn't had that brought up by a therapist. So it would have been really helpful to know this and to be able to ask these questions beforehand. As an interventionist, I've seen many people end up repeating the same patterns in addiction because they were not aware of how the past was impacting them or what was underlying the addiction. And the same was true for me. It seems important that a person is willing to put in enough time for a therapist to understand their past. There's truth to that, Corey, that, you know, it does take time for a therapist to understand your past. And we'll go in our next episode a little bit more, or at least in our future episodes, a little deeper into kind of what a therapist does in the room that helps you gain confidence in the work. But for this question of just simply 
asking them what is it that they will do in order to determine what is causing the problem that I'm bringing to them in that moment, right? All we need to know is that they have a system of going about it. We can put in the time once we get in the room with them. And that's why it's so important that we ask these questions ahead of time. Because if you go to a therapist and you spend three sessions explaining your history and your past, and then you find out that it's not a good fit, it's going to really feel discouraging and like a waste of time. So I think moving on to the second question of asking this prospective therapist, have you healed someone with similar symptoms or problems as I have is important because that way, before you get in the room to tell them your whole life story, you'll have an opportunity to find out whether they do have some confidence some experience and training in helping someone with a problem similar to yours. And that's a really fair question to ask a therapist when you're deciding whether or not to spend all that money and all that time. Yeah, absolutely. In 2014, I had a sponsor whom I've spoken about, Wally Wessel, who told me a story as sort of a metaphor, but also about therapy. He was suffering with depression with 25 years sober or something. And he went to a therapist and said, can you help me cure this depression? And they said, no, if you have depression, you will suffer from it, but I can help you cope with the symptoms. And he went to another therapist. Can you help me cure my depression? And they said, no. And some other excuse. And he said he went to four or five, I think maybe the sixth therapist said, yes, if you put in the work and it is not organic depression, I'll absolutely help you cure your depression. And he stuck with that therapist. He did six months of therapy and spent the rest of his life, which was 11 years, free of depression. Was probably the happiest man I've ever known. Wonderful, Corey. I think that story really speaks to the confidence that we're looking for when you're asking that second question of can you or have you helped heal someone with a problem or a symptom similar to mine? So is confidence that the therapist shows in the initial consultation important? Confidence in their approach to how they speak to you and confidence that they can help you resolve whatever issue you're coming into therapy for? Yes. I think, you know, the therapist that your sponsor Wally described had a lot of that. Um, and I think sometimes that level of confidence is exactly what makes people feel that they're, it's worth doing this difficult and painful work. I do think, though, I have to say that throwing a little disclaimer in as a therapist and letting people know that you know, you're just talking to them for probably 15 minutes on the phone. So the therapist should probably let you know as a potential client that there's a lot that they have to understand about you before they can have that type of confidence. And that's completely fair for them to say. I think that sometimes you might come across a therapist who may not have a ton of training. I know that when you were looking for a therapist, Corey, you had 
told me like, what if somebody's new at this and doesn't totally, you know, have a ton of experience to rely right. upon and that can be okay, but you still want that therapist that you're calling to be able to say something about how they're seeking more training or something in their work experience or school experience that lends itself to being able to have the tools and the skill set they need to help you with what you're presenting. I mean, they can also say they're in ongoing supervision or training programs, which also can give you your own confidence that they're going to be able to help you with what you're presenting. So what would you say to a new therapist in regard to certain questions that healers like Wally might come to? Difficult questions to answer for brand new therapists. How do they show their confidence that they can help someone heal when they haven't done it before? You need to find that in supervision. Um, I have to admit that I teach a lot of my therapists uh, confidence over competence. And I know that sounds really bad, but I know in our supervision, I'm going to give them everything they need, or I guess that sounds a little lofty, but I give them hopefully enough of what they need to help the clients in front of them. So I'm okay with them having sometimes more confidence than the competence. And that's just because the person who's calling them is so vulnerable. And sometimes as a new therapist, it is hard to have that genuine confidence because you don't have the competence. And that is because the competence takes years, right? Years of training and years of experience. And that new therapist, as long as they can present to you that they feel like they have the support and the resources and enough experience and training that they'll be able to help you, then it will make both the client feel good about what they can look forward to in terms of healing. And it also helps the relationship of the two of you come together in a way that everyone can kind of feel hopeful about it being successful. As you know, I am a person in long-term recovery and I took the 12 steps. And at the 12th step is when you start helping others heal by taking the steps. So the first person that asked me to sponsor him, I was terrified. I had all the information and no experience. So I understand that feeling and can say that over time the problems were the same for for each person they showed up in different ways so i can say that having the confidence or the will to go through with it brought me the competence and they kind of walked hand in hand in that regard to to healing so what you're saying is everyone has to start somewhere. And just because someone hasn't worked professionally as a therapist doesn't mean they don't have the training and the capability to develop that therapeutic relationship and help someone heal. So it's okay to ask a person, listen, you're, you're new. How are you going to go about healing my problems? 
it is definitely okay to ask that of a prospective therapist. The therapist might be a little nervous answering, and that's absolutely okay. Um, And that's just because they are new. As long as, again, they can tell you that they have some sort of system of going about going about making sure that they have a way to get enough wisdom and training through a supervisory support or colleagues or peers, then they're going to be able to help you. I do have to say, though, that sometimes new therapists who are building caseloads, I was one of them for sure, we can run the risk of kind of taking on a lot of different types of problems and disorders. And that can be problematic. When we're coming to a therapist for something really specific, let's say an eating disorder, it's really important that the therapist has specific training or support where they can be sure that they have what it takes and the competency level to be able to treat whatever specific problem you are bringing. And it is definitely their responsibility to do that. One of the places I see this a lot is in couples therapy, where you know somebody is trying to build a caseload as a therapist and they say, sure, I'll take on a couple. How hard could it be? <laughs> <laughs> and couples therapy, I have to say, Corey, is probably the most difficult type of therapy I have yeah ever done and and even more difficult from like adolescents who tried to attack me <laughs> like it's wow. yeah it's it literally for me personally is the most difficult type of therapy that's out there uh, as a as facilitating it as a therapist and so it blows me away when I know that there are therapists out there who are not trained to do couples therapy and they're taking people in as their client, doing couples therapy for that client. I mean, in our practice, we have a consultant working with us. We have a peer group supervision. We have, and this is after doing couples work for the last 15 years, I still rely on an expert or a specialist so that I can feel comfortable saying that I am competent doing couples work. So I think that's a good example of when a therapist really should have some experience or very specific supervision that they're receiving, specific training that they're receiving to address a specific problem. Would you recommend for the listeners or for potential clients that they seek personal therapy or that they're in therapy before they jump into couples therapy? That's a really tough question. And honestly, it just depends on what's happening. The the time that stands out to me where I would say it might be smart, but again, there's, there's no black and white answer for this. I promise you there's so many nuances to the question you just asked. But if one of the individual's in the couple or both has some unprocessed trauma, it's probably best that they go to individual therapy and understand the way that their trauma is surfacing in the relationship before 
they go to couples therapy. Chronic infidelity is probably something to handle in individual therapy. Chronic addiction problems is going to be really hard for a couples therapist to manage. So, so these would be examples, but again, not black and white, of when it might be wise to go handle some of these behaviors. Oh, I forgot one. The last one is domestic violence. Um, you do not, and I will say this with some passion, um, somebody might disagree, but I do not ever recommend couples therapy if there is any type of domestic violence, even pretty unsafe emotional abuse, because what can happen in couples therapy is there's something that could happen in the session that actually causes the violence to erupt when the couple gets home that may not have been revealed to the therapist. So in that, I wasn't expecting that question today, but I actually do have a lot of opinions about when to seek individual therapy before coming to couples therapy. So I, I hope that was helpful. It was. I've been to couples therapy twice. The first one was set up and paid for by my partner at the time with a therapist that she knew. And we had one session, and the therapist, to sum it all up, basically said, actually, Corey's right. Or that's or that's how she heard it, you know. Corey, how did how did she know the therapist? I'm not sure. I don't know if they if it was her therapist before or what the extent of the relationship was, but she hired the therapist specifically to give me her perspective. That was her intent behind it. Her meaning my partner. I have to cut you off right there because, again, this can be a little, well, I wouldn't even say it's controversial because most couples specialists, people who specialize in couples therapy would say that the client is the relationship and somebody who has already been in individual therapy with a therapist should not then bring the couple as the client. And that is because it is very hard for a therapist to predict how that individual relationship will change once the therapist is now catering to their partner and the relationship and not just them. It also, like in your case, could really alienate. I mean, the therapist ended up agreeing with you. But in your case, if well, it I was right, <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> But if it didn't go that way, and you're there to heal the relationship, you agreed, even though you got signed, it got signed up, and you know you had it paid for already by your partner. But you're there to be brave and to face this relationship, and the therapist would have already had some sort of connection to your girlfriend or your partner, which really already creates an imbalance that happens pretty naturally in couples therapy. Again, I didn't expect to talk so much about couples therapy, but I think it's really important when thinking about how to go about finding this therapist that's that's right for you. So I do think that you need to keep things separate and 
if I'm sure there's some exception to what I'm saying and and that somebody can give me a reason why it's fine in some scenario or case. But for the most part, somebody who's seeking couples therapy should go to a therapist who specializes in couples therapy and who is a separate therapist from the individual therapist of either partner. I can see how that could be a dual relationship with the individual and the relationship. How would you go about healing my problem as a question that one would ask a potential therapist? Can you expand on that? Yeah, Corey, I had given you that question when when you were calling so many therapists um, and trying to find the right one. So yeah, I think that one is really important. How would you go about healing whatever it is that you're presenting or whatever presenting problem you have? And this is a really important one because the therapist should be able to put into terms that you can understand the way that they go about healing, whether it is depression, anxiety, whatever it is that you're showing up with. And that could be in a treatment plan. And many therapists do not actually use treatment plans for some reason. I I don't think I've ever had one client or a friend or community member when I said, have you ever seen a treatment plan in your therapy? And I don't, I've never had one person say yes. Um, Dr. Cole, mm -hmm. I have worked in treatment centers for 15 years in different positions, and I have rarely seen a treatment plan in therapy. I've worked at a lot of centers that didn't have a therapist or had several therapists, and they did a treatment plan after the client had left just in case they got audited, or they would have the techs do all of the work and run the groups and sign off on it. So what is a treatment plan in reality, and how is it going to help the relationship and help the client heal? Well, we use for our treatment plan something called a life map, And what all treatment plans should have is long-term goals. And again, I mean, it's not the end of the world if your therapist doesn't have a treatment plan on the computer ready for you to see, but they should have some sort of plan or idea in their mind about where you are ideally trying to go in life. We call that your destination. Then they should be able to have some shorter-term goals We also put in there, we recognize our clients for what they already do well to reach that ideal destination before they even came to us. We think it's really important that on a treatment plan, you're also recognized for what you're already doing to get there without the help of therapist, without the help of a therapist. And then we moving into the short-term goals to help you get to those longer-term goals we call landmarks. And... What we do that's a little bit different is looking at the roadblocks, looking at what stops you from being able to get to whatever that short-term goal is. 
And the reason why that is so important on a treatment plan, whether it be in writing or in the therapist's head, is that, again, as we had talked about in a previous episode, because a therapist is prone to their own bias and life experience, we need to really tune in to what it is that is keeping the client from being able to achieve whatever goal they have, because the goal is the easy part. Like, let's say someone comes in and says, you know, I'm feeling really bad about my body. I feel overweight. My short-term goal is I want to be able to lose 30 pounds. So we would look at whether or not that's realistic or achievable and all those wonderful things. But before we'd start to equip that person or give them a strategy we'd want to understand what their problem is first. Like if I was to go with my own bias, I would just assume that, you know, this person needs to exercise more or they need to learn food. That's probably what my bias would be. Like you need to talk to someone who knows about how healthy eating works. But if I were to just jump in and say that, and then the client says, well, no, I've actually know a lot about food. It's not about that. It's about when I feel so down, I can't find any way to feel better. So it's not about whether or not they know what's healthy food and what's low calorie or something, but it's about helping them overcome the roadblock of feeling down before they turn to eating. So the treatment plan then also can be looked at to make sure that you're making progress. And that actually already answers the fourth question of how do you know that I'm going to be making progress in here, but I don't want to get quite to that question yet. We have a few more things I know to comment on on this third question of knowing exactly what a therapist does. So before we move into that fourth question, I think another piece is really understanding that it's not just a treatment plan, it's the type of treatment or what they're doing in their own theoretical orientation or treatment modality that's going to equip you to reach those goals. So I got some of these questions from you when I was looking for a therapist and I found a man who practices old school psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. and he says, he doesn't do any maps or, or treatment plans, but I trusted him. And three or four sessions in, I'll name a name and tell him who that person is. And he says, I know who she is from a story I told him hmm. two weeks earlier in a very small part. Somehow he manages to compartmentalize. So I trust that this therapeutic method is working for me. So I found a therapist who practices a style of therapy that works for me and the way that my mind works in regard to what I am in therapy for. What other types of therapy are there and How does one know what the best type of therapy for them is? That's another really hard question, but I'm a little biased here, and you'll hear this in this podcast, that I am a fan of 
what we call psychodynamic therapy. See, here comes all the jargon. So it's so hard for somebody to even understand. And we'll go into all the jargon and the types of therapy a little bit more in future podcasts. But the psychodynamic model comes from psychoanalytic, like your therapist you said is psychoanalytic. Now that is very old school. That goes all the way back to Freud and it really has an appreciation for the unconscious that there are so many things that drives our behavior and our habits and our mental patterns that come from unconscious experiences when we were little or just ways that we adapted to our environment. I mean, Freud believes that it all comes back to sex and aggression. I guess some people you know, might argue with that too, but for the most part, sex and aggression, that we have to repress these very natural drives, and then that causes us to have these kind of weird behaviors as we're functioning in society. And having a safe place, like with your analyst, Corey, to feel like you can develop a relationship where some of those more unconscious or even repressed aspects of who you are can come to the surface in that relationship. Psychodynamic is a little bit of a broader term in terms of where we've come since Freud and psychoanalysis, and it involves a little bit more content around the relationship itself and how the therapist might bring out things in you just by who they are as a person, and then how you as the client might bring things out in the therapist, and how that dynamic can help also give more information to what unconscious pieces might be impacting your life, and then getting that type of insight is the way that that person would be helping you to reach your goals. Because once you have the insight, you then have the power to make a different decision when you face whatever it is, whatever that problematic situation is again. Now I'll briefly just say, and we'll go into them all more, but there's a ton of types of therapy out there. I have a real appreciation for psychodynamic and psychoanalytic therapy because even though it takes a long time because relationships take a long time to gain trust and to have those sort of dynamics come out takes a long time. But there are other cognitive behavioral therapies, um, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, EFT, emotionally focused therapy, that's not as cognitive behavioral, I would say. Uh, DBT is very skills-based, but they're all being studied for specific disorders. And as I said in the last episode, that it is not so much about whether or not this specific way of treating someone is based on research because that therapist has to understand you before they understand if they can apply some well-studied cognitive behavioral modality. Now, it's a little bit more difficult, and again, I'm not gonna, I could go on forever here on this one, but it's a little bit more difficult for us to study, let's say, a psychodynamic model because it's hard to replicate what happens between two people when you're using the relationship as a way 
to create healing for the client. But as long as the therapist you're calling has a modality, a theory, a plan, a understanding of how they're going to assess what exactly it is that stands in your way of achieving your goals, then it should end up being somewhat successful as long as there's a good connection between the two of you. And I know you're just over the phone at this point trying to figure out if you should go in and pay for your first intake session. But as long as they can give you some type of clear answer about how they'd go about making sure that they have a plan to reach your goals, it should it should be okay. So do you think Freud was correct and there's just so much more built on that he was unaware of? Or do you think that original theory was wrong to begin with? And then I'll move on to an on-topic question. <laughs> oh, Freud is endlessly interesting to me and I can't answer this in a way that's going to please all the analysts out there and the psychodynamic folks who also know the work much better than I than I do but I will say that we cannot ever let go of understanding the unconscious and you will hear my bias that cognitive behavioral therapies they can have some real benefit for some disorders and some problems. But I would say for truly changing your character, truly being able to change in a way that allows your life all around you to be more in alignment with everything you've ever seen for yourself, it takes a long time. And Understanding the unconscious is the most important thing that we could take from Freud. And that is because with CBT, we can heal a lot of problems or issues in the moment, but they might pop up again somewhere else or manifest in a different way. So you might be able through CBT to no longer be depressed because now you have a routine where you go for runs and when you have a negative thought, you're able to turn it into a positive thought. But what might happen is you might find yourself in another situation like an unhealthy relationship where the depression surfaces in a new way. And that's because we might not have discovered yet that in your unconscious, you've developed a belief that you're not worthy. And Freud might bring that back to sex and say that there was some sort of sexual shame or something about our sexuality that wasn't able to be expressed or that we thought made us unworthy. And I'm just shooting in the dark here in terms of giving some examples. But yeah. my point is, is Freud gave us a serious appreciation for the unconscious. And I am very biased that if we don't, even as cognitive behavioral therapists, if we don't have some appreciation for both the client's unconscious and our own unconscious, then we can get really lost in therapy. That makes a lot of sense. I 
read a book called Young the Mystic, which talks about Carl Jung. And I, I know guess we're we should give him some credit. <laughs> short detour here as well, but he actually is one of the main reasons that Alcoholics Anonymous was started because he would see clients or patients at his house and they would live there and do therapy 24-7 until they were cured for specific conditions. And when they were cured, they would be sent on their way. And there was an alcoholic who had gone twice who was not able to be cured by Carl Jung. And the guy said, have you never seen anyone with my condition actually recover? And he said, there, I have, I have actually seen it, but it's only in the form of a spiritual intervention of some sort. But there's nothing else that I can do for you. So my point is, I do appreciate the history of psychology and Freud and Jung and know that this takes us in a lot of different directions that we don't have time for in this podcast, but I'm very much looking forward to continuing this conversation and learning as much as I can about this and sharing my experience and your, uh, your knowledge with our listeners. Before we close today, Corey, I just want to make sure we get that last question in that it's important to ask, how will you know that I'm making progress? And I'm just going to say really quickly, because we've said a lot about treatment plans and reaching goals, that progress isn't always linear in therapy. And there might be times you actually feel worse than better because of some of the, you know, trauma you might be facing from your past or just facing your grief and suffering for the first time. But there should be some way, some point where you and your therapist can check in and they will have some way of just like your therapist, just remembering everything you tell him of knowing where you've come from when you started therapy, where you are now, and if you're getting closer to what you said you valued and what you wanted to get out of therapy. So both the therapist and the person in therapy should be tracking this therapy in some way or another and having a conversation about it occasionally. I want to know that in my therapy, I don't have to feel better after a session necessarily, but after a week or a few days of processing what my therapist says, I can understand it in a new way and can start to see how it's manifesting in my life and I'm able to create a better life because of it. Yeah, we use in our life maps, like I told you about, we get pretty specific and this makes us sound kind of CBT even though we're very psychodynamic. But we have what we call acknowledgments, where we acknowledge each time the client has a new insight, or they've been able to overcome a roadblock that we've identified, or think in a new way, or take a new action that's in alignment with what they said they ideally want in life. But not all therapists have that. Like you said, <laughs> there's no analytic therapist who's probably going to have something like that. 
but I don't necessarily think that it's the client who's responsible for tracking their progress because that can get really confusing because as I said, you might it might take a while to understand your progress or see your progress. But if your therapist was able to answer that third question, how do you go about treating somebody with the problem I'm presenting? They should also be able to answer whether or not they think the way they're treating you is working. And it's absolutely okay to check in with them, to ask them whether or not they think what they're doing is actually having an impact. So thank you. We're coming near the end of this episode, but I would like to to know if you would be willing to share in a future episode the passion and process that got you to create life maps in the first place because I personally know the story but I'm hoping that someday you'll share with listeners its creation and how it was oriented I will definitely get into the specifics I have to give my best friend and co-owner credit Dr. Jasmine Narayan, because she's been with me in it in the last 15 years. But I will say, in short, it's the exact same reason I'm doing this podcast, Corey. I just want people to have some systematic way of taking this 100 years of research, all these different potential ways of working as a therapist, all these different modalities, and just have some sort of system that can be used across all modalities and all sorts of problems that just allows us to have an understanding of the values and culture of the client, their ideal destination of where they want to go in life, and a clear way of presenting to them the work that they're doing and the progress that they've made. And that's the same reason I'm doing this podcast, just that all of us healers and seekers can come together and just find some sort of common language or understand each other's language better. Well, thank you, Dr. Cole. It is an honor to be doing this project with you. And thank you to my big brother, Toby Wright. It's an honor to be doing this project with you as well, too. Toby is the creator of Tomes, a sound healing and meditation technology that can help with anxiety, depression, sleep, and much more. I have a very difficult time sleeping, and I use it, and it works. So, four-time Grammy Award-winning record producer and my phenomenal older brother, tell us more, Toby. Wow, well, thank you, Corey. That was quite the introduction there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you, Dr. Cole. This Absolutely. has been a very enlightening podcast. Well, Tomes is a natural sleep and sound healing portal that's found on the web. It's designed to help those who suffer from depression, anxiety, lack of a good night's sleep, and a host of other ailments. Tomes is a blending of three or more sound technologies that I use to create the beautiful tonalities that you will hear on our website. We have three levels of sleep therapy and 10 different lullabies for the kiddos. We also have 16 different tonalities which are aimed at different ailments. Are you an athlete or do you just want better grades in school? Well, we have tonalities that can help both of you in our high-performance section. All of this can be found at www.tomes.com. That's www.t-a-u-m-m-h-o-m-s.com. 
Well, today I would like to provide a gift of a sound bath and introduce you to Upward. This tonality is designed to help your immune system, and it does this with frequencies that stimulate your macrophages and cytokines, thereby making it stronger and possibly help to prevent the start of a disease. Let's take a listen to Upward, a sound bath provided by Tomes. Toby, thank you for that sound healing sample. Dr. Cole, thank you for joining me yet again. It's been an honor. I will see all of you next week. Thank you to our listeners. If you have any questions or comments, contact us at info at createoutcomes.com. Our next podcast, we will discuss... How do I know if I'm with the right therapist? See you next week.